Frank Mickens back here with you for a fifth edition of Winning Your Freedom. Man, we're gonna we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time reviewing what we learned last time because there's so much we need to talk about this week. So we'll be right back after the intro after this. Frank Mickens here. I am so excited because people I've been hearing are really enjoying this teaching about uh, winning your freedom. This is the freedom that was already won on the cross. And one of the central questions you might have is, okay, well, when I come to Jesus, why am I not suddenly set free from everything? Where there are issues that you might not be aware of that you're holding on to and you're giving the enemy a right to be there. So let's talk a little bit about what we've learned in Joshua chapter six. I'm going to actually go there right now. And we're talking about Jericho, which is a phenomenal metaphorical illustration of what is going on in the spirit with regard to you being bound and not experiencing freedom. So in in this particular case, Jericho was a stronghold, a fort, a city that was reinforced by what? Walls. And those walls prevented Israel from going inside the city. So think of it this way. In your life, in your heart, your soul, you can have walls that are not allowing God in. Because you like it that way. You might not even know that, but there are things about what you're going through or some of the habits that you have that you like. And so you're agreeing with the enemy by walling off yourself to healing and you're not allowing healing to come in. So let's talk about how we allow healing to come in. Last time we stopped, we, we did a lot of breathing. We were quiet and we listened to the Lord. Lord, what is it that I'm facing? And so I want to pray before we do that again. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this teaching. We thank you for the word of God that says that we are victorious in Christ Jesus. You always cause us to triumph. Hallelujah. You say where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty is available. We might not always experience, but we want to experience it. So, Lord, help us experience the liberty and the freedom that is in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to move uh, quietly and methodically. We're not going to be here long because this is this is deep. OK, the walls in your life that you've built are a result of you believing a lie. OK, so Satan, we've learned in previous episodes, is a traitor in iniquity, meaning he takes truth and twists it. And then we can believe that lie. And so now we're allegiant with Satan and we're giving him a right to influence our lives. And so we want to remove places in our lives that we've agreed with Satan. We don't want to have a Jericho experience in our lives. We want to, uh, we want to see those walls come down. We want to break any allegiances with the enemy. And so let's talk a little bit about that from, from Scripture's perspective. So we know uh, Joshua and the people of Israel um, were... Um, going around the city once a day for six days, and then a seventh day, they were to go around the city seven times. But listen to the instruction the enemy gave. He says, 
in Joshua chapter 6, it says, Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was in verse 8 when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And then Joshua said in verse 10, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. So we had the ark of the Lord circled the city going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged into the camp. What am I getting at? So let's talk about the positioning in this scripture. The armed people were in front of the priests who were in front of the ark which was in front of the rear guard or those who came behind the ark. So the ark or the presence of God was in the center of the people. God wants to be at the center of your breakthrough. You've got to make him the center. Now, the priests were ordered not to speak. That means we're not allowed to bring our wisdom, our knowledge, our preferences, our opinions to freedom. We literally are seeking the presence of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God in order to set us free. And so I want to encourage you not to try to do this with your own wisdom. God is going to give you the, uh, the, the breakthrough. And all we have to do is obey his principles, obey his ways, agree with his mind, agree with his principles, okay? After six days of that, only blowing trumpets, which was to proclaim the strength of God. They blew the ram's horn to proclaim God is their strength. The ram's horn represents strength. Blowing the shofar or the ram's horn is to announce to everyone listening that God is strong. God gets the glory. God is victorious. And so when you're looking for freedom, you're seeking to put God in the center and you're proclaiming your strength comes only from him. You need to be weak and allow God to be strong. You need to acknowledge your weaknesses, acknowledge your faults, so God can be strong in your life. This is called humility. Okay, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, says the book of James. He gives grace to the humble. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. So the humility is what brings the breakthrough. We can't say, oh, I've, not, I've done nothing wrong. Oh, you know, whatever. It's got to be you humbly coming before the Lord and saying, I am out of my depth. I've got a Jericho situation. It's going to take the power of God to bring the walls down. Amen. So let's take a moment now and think, okay, Lord, what is it that I'm dealing with? Where is the stronghold in my life? Where has the enemy built a fort in my soul, in my heart, that I need to allow the walls to come down? What outward result in my life is indicative of a stronghold in my soul? What is the fruit of my sin? 
and then what does that point to? So we're going to talk about three different ways to allow God to be at the center of your breakthrough so that he can set you free, okay? The Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so truth is very big. One of the main truths is we all have sinned. So to pretend like we haven't sinned is a problem. The book of 1 John even says that if we say we haven't sinned, then we're a liar. <laughs> and so we have to acknowledge our sin. We have to acknowledge our mistakes and then set them before the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive us. And so there's a couple of ways you can do that. Um, but God's got to be at the center. So let's talk about, I'm going to read a passage from Deuteronomy 28. Actually, let me go to the book of Exodus so that we could talk about quickly the character of God. This is God's character. We're going to go to uh, Exodus 34. And this is what God says to Moses when Moses says, show me your glory. He wanted to know more of God. He wanted a deeper understanding of who God is. And God says in Exodus 34, verse um, 36, it says, And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, quote, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. That's the stuff we love to hear, that he is a God of grace and mercy and long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Wow, that's the warm and fuzzy stuff. Then it says in verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. But then it says, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God says, listen, I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of grace and long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. I keep mercy for thousands and I forgive, but I'm a God of justice. I don't clear the guilty. I visit the sin of the fathers upon their children and their children's children to the third or fourth generation. So there are things that we can be dealing with as a result of our disobedience. We're still guilty of something because we're still walking in disobedience. So look at it this way. God would not be a good God if he allowed us to willfully sin and there be no consequences. So one good way to begin to see yourself get set free is to begin to look at where in your life are you being disobedient? Where in your life are you just standing in opposition to Scripture? And I'm going to start with the idea of things that we know we're doing that are disobedient. Now, there are things you know that you do that, that are just clearly against God's word. Cursing. Some people might think, oh, well, that's no big deal. Well, a curse word is a sin. And so to willfully do that and habitually do that and not feel like that's a problem is an issue. And it's actually an in indication that you do not have a firm understanding of what it means to love God that you want to be more like him and that you don't want to grieve his spirit by doing things such as curse. The certain music we listen to, we can all just pretend that dark music is fun. No, it's satanic. It doesn't come from God. If it doesn't come from God, it comes from Satan. So if it's not proclaiming love, if it's not proclaiming God is good, it is iniquity. And when we agree with that, there are consequences. And I'm just giving you two very common, I think, examples of disobedience. And so let's, let's read in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, and I'm going to move forward quickly, where God lists curses that come as a result of disobedience. 
So it says in verse 15 in Deuteronomy 28, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey. So if you're being disobedient to the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, these curses will come upon you and overtake you. It didn't say these curses might. It says they will. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Everywhere you are, you're carrying a curse because you're being disobedient. Curse shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. That's your resources, that which you use to bring in resources to your home. So you might be experiencing financial hardship because you're being disobedient in areas. Curse shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Your possessions can be cursed. Literally, people who are experiencing issues with childbirth, um, Somebody might feel as though, oh, they can't have a child or you might have had miscarriages. Some of that can be connected to disobedience because in the earlier part of Deuteronomy 28, it says if you obey, then blessed should be the fruit of your body. So your the fruit of your body, meaning children, should be blessed. So there's some reason for you to do some investigation. It says, curse shall you be when you come in and curse shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do. So listen, we cannot just look at God as being the God of mercy and grace. He is a God of justice, and he has to punish sin because when we're sinning, we're hurting other people. He doesn't just let it happen. And so this is a good time for us to all do some self-examination. This week is really big on self-examination. Where have you been disobedient? And where do you need to confess? Now, listen, what you do after you find yourself to be disobedient is you find the truth about that thing in the word of God. Lord, I've turned against you um, in adultery or whatever. You find the truth of God's word and you say, I've sinned and I repent and I turn away from this sin. I confess my sin and I turn away and you turn toward him. Remember, he's at the center of the breakthrough. OK, so you might have armed weapons. You might have priests and all this. But if God's not at the center, if you're doing this because you just want to feel good or you're doing this because you're in ministry or you're doing this because you don't want to lose something or you want to keep a good reputation or you just feel bad. Those are not the right reasons. You need to turn toward him because he is your desire. Lord, I'm turning from this sin because I, I want to be close to you. And that's that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. If you love listening to Marilyn Manson, just saying I'm sorry and I feel bad for doing it's not going to be enough. You need to say this grieves the heart of God and I like doing it. And I admit I like Marilyn Manson. And I'm not saying this for me personally, but you might be feeling I really love thrasher music and dark music. And that's okay for you to admit that, but you've got to turn away from it and still drop it and say, Jesus, you're more important than this thing that I love. And I'm turning away for it for, from it forever. I'm, I'm cutting up the CDs. I'm deleting it from Spotify and I'm turning toward you and I'm putting your truth at the center of it. That is a big way to find breakthrough in your life, turning from disobedience, turning toward the Lord and and showing him he's more important than the thing that you love to do that's simply sinful. A lot of people struggle with this. They just refuse to change because they like doing what they're doing. Well, let me tell you, here's the danger. When you like doing sin, you're agreeing with Satan, the author of sin, and you're bringing a curse on your life. It's deep, I told you, but this is where the breakthrough comes. 
This is why we're not allowed to say our own opinion in our own ways. What did Joshua say? He said, don't speak a word, don't shout, just blow the trumpet, exclaim that God is in control, that he is your strength. You're not your own strength. You need to be weak and walk away from your weakness toward his strength. Another way, in addition to disobedience, to win your freedom is forgiveness. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. This is where the Lord teaches us how to pray. And there's only one part in the Lord's prayer that we're responsible for. And, and Jesus explains why. He says, in this manner, pray, says Jesus. Matthew 6, verse 8. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, it's the only thing he asks us to do in the Lord's Prayer is to forgive our debtors. Everything else is about him. And why is that? Jesus says in verse 14, right after this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But in verse 15, the God of justice. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, does that mean that you're not forgiven and into eternal life? No, no, no. It's saying trespasses, that the Lord will hold you responsible for trespasses. That doesn't mean you're not forgiven and that you won't go to heaven. It means that you've got to pay back or you've got to pay restitution for a trespass because you're not forgiving someone. So if you're not forgiving someone, you're opening yourself up again for a curse. So if you've been abused, for instance, and you're holding on to that hurt and you're not releasing that person and forgiving them, I know you're probably thinking, why should I forgive? Because it says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. It's turning away from our wants, right? He says, don't shout, don't put yourself in the middle of this, put God in the center. That person you're not forgiving is God's child. And yes, what they did was wrong. Yes, what they did was sinful. But it doesn't preclude you from the responsibility of forgiving them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord in Romans chapter 12. Matter of fact, let's, um, let's go there. Romans 12 and verse 17. It says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And then it says in verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Then it says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So vengeance belongs to God. So you're acting like God when you're not forgiving someone and holding that person hostage for not doing the right thing toward you. And then it says in verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, this is what the Lord is saying. Put him in his proper place. He's the judge. 
All we're called to do is to live peaceably with everyone. All we're called to do is love our enemies. All we're called to do is do good to those who hate you. To pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That's in the book. And so that's the nature of Jesus. He died on a cross for sinners. He forgave sinners. He didn't forgive righteous people. He looked at our sin, your sin, which put him on the cross, and he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's the nature in the, of, in the heart of Christ. And so for us to live in Christ means to have that same mindset, to forgive. And not to make ourselves God by saying, I won't forgive that person. I'm holding that person responsible. No, no, no. Don't hold them responsible. Vengeance is the Lord's. I hope this is hitting home because this is the key to so many breakthroughs that we forgive. A lot of us are depressed because we haven't forgiven ourselves. Let's go to Psalm 139. I come across this a lot where people don't have a good self-image. And so you're holding yourself hostage for mistakes you've made. So you need to forgive yourself and think of yourself as God thinks of you. Listen to what God says about you. He says uh, in verse 14 of Psalm 139, it says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. You're marvelous in the eyes of God. Bible says that you are God's masterpiece created for good works that you should walk in them. Wow. He created you for good works that good things will come as a result of your life. Listen to what it says further in Psalm 139. It says, verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, his thoughts toward you. They would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. God has innumerable thoughts towards you, more numerous than the sand on the planet. And so when you don't forgive yourself, you're agreeing with Satan. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren in the book of Revelation. And so you're agreeing with Satan's accusations against you that you're not perfect. Yeah. That's why you need Jesus. The blood of Jesus washed you from that that imperfection. And God loves your imperfection. And so forgiving yourself is a big thing. So we talked about disobedience and repentance. We've talked about forgiveness. And we've talked about unforgiveness and how to forgive is the answer to that. Now I want to talk about familiar spirits. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. We touched on a little bit of this last time in in a couple of episodes ago. There are spirits that are familiar to you that you don't know are familiar. You think it's it's normal. You know, things you do that are normal, but when you look in the Bible, they're sin. So like if you're argumentative, that's sin. Uh, if you look at pornography, that's sin. It might be something you grew up around. It might be something your dad did. It might be something your friends did, but that spirit is familiar to you, so it doesn't repulse you as it should. Familiar spirits operate underground. And so the key is to apply truth to these areas. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, if you don't have peace in an area. Look, for an example, depression. Some people 
have depression and that's a familiar spirit. It's a spirit in your life, a spirit of depression, and you like it because it's familiar to you. You like feeling sorry for yourself. You like being sorrowful because it makes you feel something. You just like to have a feeling. It makes you feel alive. Some people like misery because it gives people a, a reason to pay them attention. That's, that's iniquity. That's a lie from the devil. You don't need anyone's attention as a result of you being depressed or a result of you not feeling good. That's, that's a spirit. And it might be a familiar spirit in your life, which you, you're not repulsed by it. You're, you're comfortable with it. And that's why it's familiar. And so here's why we need to deal with familiar spirits, because they're never going away if you don't call them out and you say, I remove my allegiance with these spirits. And I turn away from agreeing with these spirits. Listen, in Matthew 12, listen to this. Lord, glory to Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 25. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew their what? Their thoughts. Jesus knows your thoughts. And if they don't agree with his thoughts. And so familiar spirits, they will not turn you toward the thoughts of Christ. They'll turn you toward the thoughts that make you feel good, all right? And they keep you in bondage. And then he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So the key to bringing down the stronghold is removing allegiance with Satan. Once you divide yourself from agreeing with Satan, that fortress he's built in your soul cannot stand. It can't. I refuse to be depressed. It's a, a lie from the enemy. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Or I forgive myself from that mistake I made 40 years ago. And God, I ask you to show me how much you love me. I turn toward you. It says, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So Satan will never be divided. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Now, let's focus on this. Um, in verse 28, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you, says Jesus. And that's how we want to get free. We want the spirit of God to cast out the demons by what? Agreeing with the spirit of God and disagreeing with the spirit of Satan the spirit of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. We disagree with it. In verse 29, it says, Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? In verse 30, he says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You can have a posture that is with Jesus or against Jesus with regard to what's keeping you bound. If Jesus says, you, you cannot do methamphetamine, but you continue to do it, well, you're not with Jesus. And it says, if you're not with him, you're against him. You're working against him. You've got to acknowledge this is sin. I turn away from it. I turn toward you, Lord. I turn toward you. I confess it. I confess my disobedience. Listen, familiar spirits, man, they will stay there as long as you agree with them. 
And so I want to encourage you to pay attention to this particular verse. It says, how can one enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? In Joshua chapter six, this is what we see with the walls of Jericho. The house of Jericho was plundered because the people of God, they they walked with God around the city six days, once a day. And they walked with God around the city seven times on the seventh day. And they did not raise their voice until they were told. They put Jesus, the presence of God, in the center. So here it is. In uh, Joshua 6, verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. God, I pray that we will take the city of our souls by agreeing with your Holy Spirit. Show us how to bind the strong man. And so let's talk about the strong man. There are things in your life, there are spirits called the strong man in, in scripture that are setting up shop and you've given them a right to be there by what? Agreeing with them. And so the key to getting free is disagreeing, cutting off allegiance, rebelling from Satan's devices, the wiles of the devil, the subtleties of the devil. Listen, in the book of Genesis we, Genesis, we saw how the serpent came in and told Eve. Let's just, let's just go there. In Genesis chapter 3. So he goes to Eve and he says, um, in verse 2. No, this is verse 1. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Ooh, that is not what God said. He said you can eat from every tree of the garden except one. But Satan, the way he put it, made it sound like, shouldn't you be able to eat of every tree? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she knew what God said. She knew the truth. But then the serpent, Satan, says to the woman, you will not surely die. Wow. So now she has an opportunity to agree with that lie or not. And we all know what Eve did. She agreed with the lie. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. Why? Because she bought the bait that she would not die. And so the death of sin was introduced into the world because our forefather and mother agreed with a lie. And in verse 5 in Genesis 3, it says, where the serpent went on to, to lie, it says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's always going to give you a temptation that sounds like it's better than God's plan. Mm. You cannot improve on God's plan. And so what we read in scripture is the best God has. So you decide and you're going to steal. You decide and you're going to lie, cheat. You're going to gossip. You're going to do all these things because it makes you feel good. And you think that's an upgrade from God's plan because your emotions mean more than God's truth. Well, you're bringing a curse on yourself. 
And those familiar spirits, those behaviors that we've seen as we were raised by our parents or our grandparents, the things that we've, uh, we've uh, agreed to over the course of our lives because they seem normal, even though they're sin, that stuff will keep you bound unless you disagree with the strong man. And then you make a divide and say, this kingdom won't stand because I am divided against Satan. I'm not going to agree with Satan. The lie is I won't die. The lie is there are no consequences. The lie is, oh, it's a little sin and it, I won't reap what I sow. Lie. You will reap what you sow. The Bible says if you reap, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap to the flesh, period. It's a principle. You lie, you're going to have something happen. You cheat, something's coming on you. If you um, compromise, there is a consequence. So I just want to encourage you, agree with this method. Disagree with familiar spirits and do what they did at Jericho. Proclaim God's strength. Proclaim God's power. They blew the trumpet. They blew the ram's horn, representing the strength of God. Rely on his strength, not your own. Rely on his mind, not your own thoughts. Rely on his opinions, not your own. Your opinion means nothing. I'm just going to say it. You want freedom? You've got to desire God's truth more than anything else on the planet. Uh, I want to I want to go back to one more thing in Exodus. We were in Exodus 34 and Jesus, the Lord God, said. In verse seven, he keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Right there. That is where familiar spirits um, flourish in generational curses. A generational curse is something that started by the disobedience of your four, um, forefathers or your, your generations before you. Something they did that they never repented for and continued doing until the day they die. And then you see people do it in the next generation. You see people do it in the generation after that. You can break that curse in your life by disagreeing with the sin that you've seen people in your family do that you've just said, oh, well, this is just how we are. No, 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 no. If you don't want your children to be dealing with that, if you don't want your grandchildren to be dealing with that, break that curse now by pledging allegiance to Jesus and not what your parents showed you, which was wrong. Honor your parents, but when they're stepping out in sin, don't honor that. Amen, somebody? I'm just encouraging you. This is where freedom is, man. It's right here. And at Jericho, what they did was they took their time. They went around the city six days, and they were obedient to the process. And so, Lord, I pray they will be obedient to the process. On day seven, they upped the momentum. They could see the victory, and they went after it by going around the city seven times, which is the number of perfection or completion. We want to have a complete victory. We don't want to just walk around these walls and quit. We want to finish it. And we want to not just acknowledge our sin, but we want to invite you in to be at the center, change our mindset, renew our minds toward the truth and apply our faith in the truth to our sin. And we turn away from it straight toward you. 
Some of us need to repent from disobedience. Some of us need to forgive some people that we've been holding unforgiveness toward. And some of us need to acknowledge, man, I've been influenced by familiar spirits that have set up a stronghold in my life. And I no longer want that because the truth of God's word says this, which is totally opposite from my reality because I've been allowing these spirits to influence my reality. And I've been walking in disobedience. I've been walking in sin because I've been bound by a mindset. That's what the stronghold is. I've been bound by a mindset that is anti anti-Christ. Set us free from this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I praise God for you. I invite you to reach out if you need help with any of this. Um, There are people out here that are trained to help you find deliverance. And if you're in over your head, if you know there's something and you feel a distinct discomfort in your spirit right now that you shouldn't be walking in a certain way and you just can't seem to get free, reach out to me. And there are people I can put you in touch with that will pray with you and help you get free. I pray that this touches your life. I pray this changes your family. I pray this changes your future and your trajectory. I pray it brings you more than anything closer to Jesus. That you might know him even better. I bless you. Give you all honor and praise, Lord Jesus, for this time together. Now may you cause this word to bear good fruit in our lives in Jesus' name. Listen, we're going to see you next week. Um, more than likely we're moving on to a different series, but if I feel like we need to dig even deeper into this, I'll certainly do that. But until we see each other again, be praying for us. We'll be praying for you. God bless you until next week. Thank you.